Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. Good morning. How are you today? Good. If you're joining us online, good morning as well. So great to have you. Good to see all of your faces. Um, if you would, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, that's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, we're going to be uh, starting a new series today as we uh, are looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. Um, it's going to be a fun morning, okay? It's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to what we're going to be talking about. It's interesting, as I was looking at uh, today and um, preparing for today, I did a little bit of digging into the Word of God just to give us a little bit of uh, substance before we dive in to maybe send us in the right uh, direction. And it's interesting, I've been praying about this series and especially this sermon as we start launch in that you'll actually come back to church next week after today. And uh, so uh, it's going to be amazing and I look forward to what God has to share with us from his word. But as I was looking, um, I was reminded there's often a couple of topics uh, that churches shy away from talking about. And uh, I feel like maybe people get a little bit queer. Pastors talking about that. Anyone want to guess the number one thing that pastors or churches shy away from teaching about? Money. Now you know why it's going to be fun. <laughs> and if you're new this week or you just joined us online, um, I seriously can't remember the last time that we kind of walked through uh, what God's Word says about money or a specific series on money or a text on money. And so I think it's going to be fascinating and fun. This is why. Um, it was interesting as I was looking, when you look at the Word of God, uh, prayer is a big deal in following Jesus, right? We can all agree on that. Prayer is a big deal. Do you know how many times or how many Bible verses, I should say, uh, it, it, it's, it's talked about, prayers talked about in the Word of God, about 500 times in scripture verses, roughly. Prayer is talked about. Pretty important, pretty significant, absolutely. Faith is a pretty big deal in following Jesus. Faith is mentioned less than 500 times, or less than 500 Bible verses in the Word of God. Um, can you guess how many times money is talked about in the Word of God? A lot more than that. <laughs> 2,000 times. It's fascinating. Faith is super important to follow in Jesus. I'm not diminishing that. Prayer is significantly important. It's our communication with God. Something has to be. There's, there's a big topic there when money is mentioned or talked about in passages of Scripture 2,000 times. Now when you just go to the teachings of Jesus, you go to the teachings of Jesus, and all of this time he had in his ministry, about 15% of Jesus' teachings are, have to do with the topic of money. 15%. Of all Jesus' time, three years on life, 15%. Of all of the parables, 40% of all of the parables, some of the most significant teaching that Jesus shared, 40% of the parables involve the topic of money. It's fascinating when you look at it and you dive into it. So when I look at it, I, I say, man, this is a big deal. And I think that more than many times we talk about it, we need to talk about this topic and what it looks like in our everyday lives. And so today, my, my heart for all of you is, is this, and I'm going to say this over and over again throughout the series, God doesn't want anything from you. He wants something for you. 
Remember that today as I'm teaching. Uh, I don't want anything from you, I promise. I want something for you, and it's what Jesus calls us to in the best life we can have that's found in Christ. Amen? And my heart behind today and the next number of weeks, and our heart is not to, especially, we definitely, I don't want to guilt anyone into anything or live in a certain way. I will continually throughout this entire series, continually throughout today and every Sunday I'm on the platform, whether it's money, marriage, kids, faith, prayer, all of our motivation today and every week will always be the gospel. Always will be the gospel. That out of God's generosity and what he's done in my heart, in my life, and what he's given to me after we just celebrated last week, that Christ left heaven, came to earth, lived a perfect life, gave his life on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. He rose victoriously, and now I can live a life of victory. I'm reconciled back to God. Out of that, everything I do comes out of that. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel. So today, I want us to move forward with that in mind as we start a new series. It's called Overflow from Him Through Us to All. Overflow. And we're going to be looking at two chapters, significant chapters, in 2 Corinthians, chapter 8 and chapter 9. And my prayer through the whole time has been that you continue coming back to church after today. I'm kidding. But it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be very good as you look at 2 Corinthians. It's actually probably Paul's fourth letter to the church of Corinth. And here in these two chapters, Paul is writing in general in 2 Corinthians to defend his apostleship as he's left and or he's not with them. And he's defending his role as an apostle. And with that, because of his maybe marred relationship with the church of Corinth, because they're believing these false teachers, he's he's thinking that maybe what they're doing, they're collecting a fund with many of the churches to come together and bless the church in Jerusalem because they're going through much hardship and, and they're in great need. And so they've been doing these collections. And so Paul writes to them to defend his apostleship and also to say, hey, this needs to continue on to spur them on to generosity. And he uses an example of another church. And so the church in Jerusalem is in poverty and it's in its in great need, and so they're gathering funds to send to that church. And so Paul writes, and it's fascinating. Paul is not writing, and this is my heart and our heart as a church. I am not sharing. Paul is not writing to guilt people in Corinth to give or be generous or to, to do it out of duty. If anything you do in following Jesus is done out of duty, just don't do it. There's no point. You could say, man, I'm going on a missions trip because I feel like it's my duty. Then just don't go. The same thing's true with generosity, whether with your neighbor, with your church, with a nonprofit, doesn't matter. Don't do anything out of duty. And so my heart today is not to say, man, this is what the Bible says. You better do it. No, it's that then I want to share the gospel with you and show how we're called to be a generous people and overflow out of our hearts and our minds and our hands to the world around us. And so as Paul writes, his motivation is always this, and I'm going to say this over and over again today, grace received, grace given. Grace received, that they've received the grace of God, and grace overflows in what is given. And so let's look in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to look at the first couple verses, and I just want to share with you some things from this passage. So look with me in verse 1. It says this, Paul writing to the church of Corinth, we want you to know, brothers, 
about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And so the first thing that we see from what Paul writes to the church of Corinth is that grace overflows regardless of our circumstances. Regardless of our circumstances, grace and generosity overflow. So he puts it before the church in Corinth, this, this example that you're going to see over and over again. He's using the church of Macedonia. So it's many different churches. It's a little north of Corinth. It's probably involved the church of Philippi, the area of Thessalonica, Berea, all these areas. And he uses them as an example to say, man, this is what they've done. And, and this is how God's used them out of their own lives. And he uses an example for the church in Corinth. And he says this amazing thing. He says, God's grace has been given among the churches in Macedonia. Now, we obviously know what the grace of God is. All of us here, if we're followers of Jesus, you're watching online, you understand what it is. God's grace, it's what we like to call unmerited or undeserved favor or the love of God. It's God's blessing on us. We didn't deserve it. None of us deserved it, but God in his grace gave us his love. And, and Paul uses grace in chapter 8 like eight I think 10 times. So it's a topic that he goes over over and over and over again. And in, in Paul's vocabulary here, it's a nuanced term. He, he's using it in a way to coincide with giving and grace or generosity and grace. As we've received the grace of God through Jesus, we bestow grace out of us on others over and over again. And so he says, man, grace has been given among the church of Macedonia. So when he uses this first term, we immediately ask ourselves, what's he talking about? What does he mean by grace has been given? Well, what he's saying here is not just that, yes, we've been given the grace of God through Christ, but he's going further than that. Paul has this concrete manifestation of the love of God in mind that the grace of God has overflowed, is what he's saying, overflowed in a very specific way out of the church of Macedonia. And then he goes on to actually share what it looks like. Look in verse Two, as he says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and in their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And severe trials and affliction, the church of Macedonia is, is not a wealthy church. It's actually a quite impoverished church. And it says out of that, namely, their overflowed a wealth of generosity on their part. And so here's the deal. The church in Corinth is probably a very wealthy church. The church of Macedonia is a very poverty-stricken church. And so the Apostle Paul is using the, the beauty of what happened in Macedonia in this impoverished church and how they gave out of this unbelievable abundance to spur on the church of Corinth to be generous in their giving and their generosity to the church in Jerusalem. It says, out of that, this abundance of generosity overflowing out of the beautiful language used here. Well, how did this actually happen? Well, it says, in their abundance of joy. I love the way one writer, David Garland, says this. It says, in the New Testament, the Christian's experience of joy has no correlation to his or her outward circumstances, which oftentimes our joy goes up and down based on what's happening or how we woke up that day or whatever. Paradoxically, he says, Christians can experience joy in the midst of great persecution and personal 
suffering. Because our joy is found in Jesus. Our joy is found in the Lord. Even for them, the church of Macedonia, while they're in extreme poverty and they're, they're overwhelmed by all that's happening in life, they still have utmost joy, so much joy that they're spurred on by the grace of God to give abundantly to the church in Jerusalem who is in great need. He says, even in extreme poverty. All of this, you think about it, their circumstances didn't matter. There was grace. There was joy and love. And it all resulted in an abundant giving in suffering and poverty. It's fascinating. And over and over again, I'm going to share with you examples of why this is. And every time, it's going to be the gospel. And when you look, we always have to go back to the gospel, right? When you think about Jesus, when he came, last, last week we celebrated Christ raising from the grave, and he came and gave his life. But when he came, he didn't come from a moment of triumph and victory. He wasn't living his best life on the earth, and he was living it up in his palace, and he was on his throne, and finally he says, fine, I'll give my life for them here on earth. No, he came, actually, quite like what we're reading here, in a severe test of affliction, and extreme poverty. He had no wealth. There was nothing about him that would be loved. And here he is, walks the earth, and then he gives his life as a free act of grace for us, as an act of generosity to each one of us. Like Romans says in Romans 5.8, Paul tells us, God shows his love for us while we're still sinners. While we're still broken, Christ died for us. Now, it's fascinating to me because when we think, when I often think about generosity in my life, I often have the shoe on the wrong foot. I mean, all the time, the way that I look, look at it many times, and I think many people think about generosity in our lives. And when I'm saying generosity, please don't hear church generosity in your life what does it look like with your neighbor and people in your community and all that you do in life what does that look like for you because oftentimes i feel like we think about generosity based on our circumstances okay lord i will i will be generous if i get this new promotion lord if i get a good tax return this year for sure i'll be a generous individual if i need a tax right up at the end of the year I'll be a generous individual. And oftentimes it's based on our circumstances, but when you find here in the church of Macedonia, it wasn't based on the circumstances. They're in extreme poverty. They're overwhelmed by the circumstances of life. And out of that, extremely generous. It's true to the nature of grace. We received it. And out of that, what he's saying is, out of a heart that's received the grace of God, Christ Jesus to us, out of that should overflow a life of generosity to the world around us in the way that we interact. Now look, so it's not based on our circumstances. Grace received, grace is given. But look, this is where it gets interesting in, in verse 3 as we see grace overflows beyond its limitations. It's beyond its limitations as we see here in the text. Look in verse 3. For they gave, the church in Macedonia, he's writing to Corinth, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. 
begging us. Now just picture this for a moment. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part of the relief of the saints. So they're begging Paul, please let us be a part of this relief effort for the church in Jerusalem, that they, the believers in Jerusalem, might know that they're loved by God, and we are the family of God, and I want to give abundantly even more than I probably should, so that they will experience the love of God. Their attitude of generosity moved to an action of giving. And he says that they they were generous in, in two ways. The first, he says, according to their means. This is pretty easy to understand. He basically is saying, doing what they might have, we expected them to do. It looked like they gave as they were able, right? So, I mean, you take it to their terms back then, Macedonian. They say, hey, I made this much money or I have this much resources about me in Macedonia and this is my home, but out of that, this is generally how I can help with the relief effort in Jerusalem. And so some, they gave as they were able to, right? But what's fascinating next, he says, not only that, they gave beyond their means. Now this is fascinating. That's a deeper, a deeper form of generosity. Another way to translate this is, for they gave according to their ability and above their actual ability. Paul's commentary is that these people were giving even more than they should have rightly given out of the love of God. Like, it would be like this, like some in Macedonia gave, and I have a hundred bucks to live on this week in Macedonia, and I gave a hundred bucks. And I'm going to depend on the Lord this week that he's going to come through because that's what God does. Because I'm going to depend on the Lord because I gave more than I probably should have because I'm going to depend that the Lord loves me enough that he's going to take care of me. So they gave even more than they probably should have. When I think about this text, I'm like, how, how did the Apostle Paul pull that? How did this happen? I, my mind always wanders. Did, did the Apostle Paul have his thugs and he sent him to Macedonia? And he beat up one of the people in the church of uh, Macedonia in, in the area. And they said, man, if you don't give, this is what's going to happen. We tried that here at Lake Orion. didn't work. Uh, it was Alex's idea, um, but it fell through. When you think about it, like, what, what happened? Like, what spurred these people to be like, yeah, absolutely. I'm probably going to give more than I should. What changed? What, what made them? The grace of God. The grace of God that they received in their own heart and their own life and looking at how God blessed them just in the cross of Jesus because they didn't have much because they were poverty-stricken and broken and going through extreme problems in life. And in all of that, they say, we are more than blessed by the grace of God. Obviously, it didn't have a hold on their heart, things. It's interesting, as I travel to places around the world on missions trips, that's often the case. People that have the least, things have the least hold on their hearts and their lives. And oftentimes, they're the most generous. And you think about it, no, he didn't twist any arms. He says, right in the text, their own accord, of their own accord. Their giving was not coerced or forced. It was a willful gift. It was a desire. It literally says that they were pleading. They begged, like, please, Paul, let us be a part of this thing. Paul uses this word for the fourth time, or he uses the word grace again. 
You might not see it, but the word there, it, a favor in the text, the Greek word is, is keras, and it's, and it's taking part. Like they're asking to take part of the grace effort. That grace in is great out. Like grace received is grace, grace given. That as we've experienced the grace of God, maybe we want to demonstrate that to the people around us. We want to be a part of what God is doing there. And again, I just go back to the gospel over and over again. When you look at Jesus' life, this is essentially exactly what we experienced in Christ, right? He gave freely to us out of his own accord. He didn't, he didn't come kicking and screaming. He didn't say, yeah, I'm fine, Father. I'll go down there and die for those people. It says that he freely, to his last drop of blood, covered us. Romans says in 8.32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is fun to talk about, isn't it? Probably not. That's why it's silent in here. I hope you come back to church next week. Um, it's interesting when I look at the text and it says that they gave by means that they had. And I think about the American church. I think many times, most, many people in the American church want to be more generous with their lives, but they're not able to because they're living beyond their means. That many in the American church are, are living in such a way that if they were pressed in a moment to say, man, my neighbor is really in a hard time and they can't pay their mortgage, I'm going to pay their mortgage for them by the grace of God that I might have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Many don't even have the means to do so. Because we're so strapped financially, moving on to the next thing and all these other things in life, and, and we're not able to jump in. I'll, I'll, share, the, I'll share this with you. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I shared that my wife and I are going to be taking, our, my family is going to be going on a sabbatical in mid-June for, uh, for about eight weeks. And uh, it's great. Life's great. I love my wife. I love my family. I love the church. I'm planning to come back afterwards. <laughs> Many people reach out. They're like, this is interesting. You said you're going on a sabbatical, but you sold your house. You haven't bought another one. What's going on here? Nothing. I just haven't bought another house. And by the grace of God, right now in my life, Sarah and I, we had a plan, and this is why I share it with you. Sarah and I had a plan. We we're going to sell our house. We we're going to uh, move forward with maybe building a house or buying a house. And right now, at 38 years old, with my family, I live in the basement of my brother's house because they're, they're open up their home to us and they're so generous with us. And I'll, I tell you this to tell you this. Uh, a couple months back, uh, my wife and I went to this thing called the Journey of Generosity that Woodside is walking through. And it was fascinating as you go there and you're, you're wrestling with all of this, like what God calls us to in a generous life as a follower of Jesus. And there's moments where you're listening to powerful stories and you're reading the word of God and then you're taking time to be alone with God and let God speak to you. And we had some times alone and then we came together as a couple and we sat together as a couple because over and over again we're wrestling with because we're looking at houses and the market is crazy and we're all over the place and you have to pay above list and all these plans that we had and we had our own plan and we were like, oh, we could do this and it might strap us a little bit financially, but man, this would be great, all this different stuff. And there's a moment when we went and set, spent our separate ways and then we came back together and the Lord spoke to both of us separately. The same thing. And we said, okay. 
I don't want to live in such a way that I have to worry every week that I'm going to make every payment, that I am not able to, in my monthly budget, set aside money that I can be generous with the church of God and with the people around me that God has called me to be in life with. And so here I am. I don't have a home. And we're continuing to look forward where God is leading us and praying where God has us, but so that we can move forward as a generous family. A family that would move forward to say, Lord, where do you have me? I don't want to be the person that longs to be generous with my neighbor or with my church in a, in a, more, in a, in a greater way and say, I can't because I'm just trying to keep up with every single month. And can I just for a moment, I'm, I told you today's going to be fun, can I just get in your lunchbox for a second? According to data, we, we don't live up to what we're reading about today. And again, I pray that you come back again next week. I just want to share some stats with you. According to Woodside, and I don't know what any of you are generous with Woodside or outside of Woodside or across our campuses, we probably have 10 or 15,000 people that go to Woodside across of our campuses. Just listen to this for a moment. This is just general data so we can get an idea of kind of where we're at in the American church. Of households at Woodside that give any money to Woodside, we have about 1,700 people or households that give um, more than $200 to Woodside. About 1,500 households that, gave, that give between 200 and 1,000 yearly about 2,000 households that give between 1,000 and 5,000 yearly, about 780 households that give between five dollars and $10,000 yearly, and about 450 households that give more than 10,000 yearly. And you say, Jim, why are you sharing that with me? I share it with you this, because more than half our congregation gives nothing or less than $200 annually to their church. So I can only imagine what the generosity is outside of the church. And it, it also says that 20% of our church family gives 74% of our annual budget. And that just means statistically that there's a lot of people that call Woodside home that are not generous with their stuff. And we don't live up to what the word of God shares us. And I'm not, again, take outside of Woodside. I don't want anything from you. Woodside doesn't want anything for you. I want something for you. And what does it look like for you in your life to be a generous person in life, outside of Woodside, missionaries, your neighbor, what is, what is God doing with what you have? Because God has so much for you that you're missing out on if you're not engaged with what God calls us to. There's a reason that 2,000 verses in the scriptures speak to the topic of money because there's a grip on our hearts with it. There's a reason why God says, Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount, you can't serve God and money. You can't have two masters. He didn't say God and your wife. He didn't say God and your husband. He didn't say God and your children. He said money for a reason because it grips us. Things, the God of mammon is maybe the greatest God that we need to strike down in the American church. I told you it was going to be fun. <laughs> in verse 5, look with me. And this, he's talking about for a moment, for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and he picks up in verse 5, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves, first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that he, as he had started, so he should complete, excuse me, complete among you this act of grace. And the last thing we see is that grace overflows as giving of yourself. So it's not just monetary things. I love how it writes that the Apostle Paul is surprised 
He's blown away. And the joy of grace that they have, I mean, they're shocked. Paul and his team are shocked by the, the abundance of giving that came out of the Macedonian church. You've got to imagine, like, he's probably talking, and this isn't in the Bible. I'm just speculating. He, he's, he's talking. He's like, man, this is awesome. Like, I, I love that the, the church of Macedonia is getting involved, and I, I bet they'll probably give some, but they're going through a lot, man. I mean, they're overwhelmed, and they're poverty-stricken. I bet you they'll give, but it probably won't be a large amount to take to the church in Jerusalem. It'll be okay, but it probably won't be much. And then the day they receive it, that he is so overwhelmed. Are you kidding me? How can this be true? This church that's overwhelmed and poverty stricken and they have nothing like, can you believe this? Look what they, look what they did. Man, they want to encourage the, the church in Jerusalem that they, there is a God who loves them and they're going to be the, the conduit to show them. How does that happen? grace. The grace of God. I love how Paul says that they gave themselves. That the Macedonians, it wasn't just about monetary or financial, but it was. They gave in abundance, even in excess, but they also gave of themselves. It says, first to the Lord, their giving of themselves was a vertical giving first and foremost, like setting themselves toward the Lord, like, Lord, this is to you, and we love you, and I'm setting myself towards you. Uh, one commentator said this, yielding oneself to God is the fundamental prerequisite, prerequisite to sacrificial giving to others. Did you hear me on that? Yielding oneself to God is the fundamental prerequisite to sacrificially giving to others. Without vertical handling, Without vertical handing over of oneself, all horizontal handing over of oneself is empty, pharisaical, done out of insecurity or hypocrisy for show. If it's not done unto the Lord, like, man, Lord, I just want you to know that I love you and I'm giving myself, not only financially, out of what I have, but myself personally. Like, hey, Paul, send me where you need me. Do I need to go and deliver it? How can I give of myself to that church? They gave themselves to the Lord and then their very lives as well. It's amazing that their financial giving was only the outward manifestation of a deeper giving of their souls. The church of Macedonia was probably, I'm assuming, had to have heard what the Apostle Paul had wrote in other areas, reminded of what he wrote in 1 Corinthians, as I'm paraphrasing, as the Macedonians probably heard, that those in union with Christ are thereby in a union with one another. One part of the body suffering is shared with the rest. That it's a family, right? That familial language is used all throughout the scriptures as we are the family of God, right? That they see each other. Do you think that anybody, I wonder, do you think that the church of Macedonia knew anybody from the church in Jerusalem? I don't know. It's a ways away, but they gave generously to people. Why would they do that to that church? Because it's their family, because we're the family of God, and it wasn't about the church in Macedonia. Man, why do we give to support things in, in India so that people and churches can be planted, like we launched in December, and hundreds of churches can go forth in India, and people can hear the experience of the gospel and come into relation with God? Why? I don't know anybody in India. Because it's about the family of God. It's about the gospel. It's about Christ moving forward with his church. So I give out of that because it's the family. It's like my kids. One of my kids has the gift of spending. You know where she gets it from? 
the gift of spending. I mean, she has money, it's gone, like instantly, right? One of my other kids has the gift of giving, generosity. It's just in her makeup. I mean, if, if she sees her sister has already spent, like the prodigal son, all of their money on frivolous candy, she will still, out of a great abundance, be generous with her sister and buy her more candy. I keep telling her, honey, that's enabling. Stop. <laughs> Why does she do that? Because it's her sister. It's family. What would it look like in our lives if you knew the need of someone in your church and you were able to come alongside them and be generous with them? Because God calls us into not just giving something, but giving our lives to it starts with our heart, and then it comes out in our hands. Paul says grace here. He's eager to send Titus, as he says, as he started, so he could complete among you this act of grace. What's the act of grace? The act of grace was that Titus could come and collect the money to take it to the church in Jerusalem, because grace given or received his grace given. But as we've received the grace of God in our lives, it so should so spur us to be generous with the world and the people around us for kingdom purposes, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, I go back to the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And Jesus didn't send a surrogate to deal with our need. He, he didn't cut us a check to alleviate our troubles or problems. No, he gave himself, first and foremost, to his heavenly Father, and, and then in, in obedience to the will of God, to the church, to us, that we might be reconciled back to God. It's no wonder that Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Your God, if you're here celebrating Jesus, is the most generous being in all creation. He gave himself. And out of that grace, God calls us to be generous people to the world around us for kingdom purposes that more people might come into the faith, that more people might get to experience the grace so before we're done, I just want to ask, have you, begs the question, have you experienced the gift of Jesus? Have you experienced that gift of grace? Man, have you, ha have you seen your need because of your sin, watching online? Someone today, have you, have, you, have you recognized your need because of your sin and responded to God with faith and repentance of your sins and, re and experienced the beautiful generosity that we just celebrated last week on Easter and said, man, thank you, God. I didn't, I didn't deserve it. But you gave it to me so graciously and generously in my life. Have you experienced that? And if you haven't today experienced the, the greatest gift, the greatest act of generosity you'll ever experience in your life, it's Christ. That you might be able to experience a relationship with God, be reconciled back to God today. And church family, I, I just hope you know my heart in all of this. Uh, again, I'm not, I'm not looking for anything from you. I would be amiss as a pastor if we as a church didn't 
preach the whole counsel of God. And sometimes the whole counsel of God, like I say all the time, there's sometimes I'm like, can we just rich this part out? Because it presses on me and it presses on you. But my heart is that we, every person in this room, you are all different and the Holy Spirit is indwelling all of you and all of you will be encouraged and spurred on in different ways. My heart in all of this is this, that you and I, myself included, all of the church leadership at Woodside would figure out what it looks like for us to be a generous people. Here at the church, yes, and out there with the world, that people might know and hear the gospel that more people would come into a relationship with Jesus. Amen? Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.